0: Section forty-five of Memoirs of Miss Sydney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sydney Biddulph by Frances Sheridan, Volume Three Continued. July the ninth, Cecilia, have I been a murmurer at the decrees of Providence? Have I been an impious repiner when Heaven has poured down its wrath upon my head? If not, why am I marked out for divine vengeance? Before I lose my senses or my life, for both I cannot retain, hear the last act of your friend's tragic story. My brother called on me this day. He gave me a letter directed to Mr. Falkland, which came under a cover to him. Read it, said he, it is from Ireland, and may contain something material for us to know it was from the honest servant mr falkland left behind him see what he says and then tell me if i ought to live any longer honored sir i have the happiness to send you a piece of good news which made me wish for wings to have flown over to you with it my lady heaven be praised is not dead nor so much as hurt i am thankful for this sir on your account not hers I don't know what possessed the people at Mr. Bond's to tell me she was dead. The mistake to be sure was occasioned by the great confusion the family were thrown into, and indeed from what I myself saw I was sure she was actually dead." Major Smith lived till the surgeon came, but had been speechless for two or three hours and died whilst his wounds were probing. My lady had only fallen into a fit and the Major, having bled prodigiously, she received a great deal of his blood upon her linen, and as afterwards he contrived to throw himself on the bed, which was at some distance from the place where she had fallen, it gave occasion to Mrs. Bond, who was herself the first person that entered the room after the sad accident, on finding my lady lying senseless, pale and bloody on the floor, to suppose she had been killed. This alarm ran through the family, and was confirmed to me by everyone in it, as we servants soon quitted the chamber, and the Major himself said that you discharge one of the pistols at your lady, and the other at him. I returned to Mr. Bonds in the morning, after you were gone off, to inquire whether Major Smith was alive or not. He was just then dead." The waiting-maid informed me that my lady, to their great surprise, was recovered, having only been in a fainting-fit which held her above an hour, without her showing any signs of life, and that she had fallen from one to another till morning. And she, father said, begging your honour's pardon, it would be no great matter if she had died in one, for she believed it was for no good she went into the Major's room at that time of night. I stayed about the house all the day to pick up what intelligence I could from the servants. Young Mr. Bond, with two or three men, went to your house, and not finding you there, I suppose, rode in pursuit of you. But heaven be praised, you have escaped their hands. The waiting-maid, who is a very civil young woman, told me in the evening that my lady, being come a little to herself, though I believe not in her right mind, was informed of the Major's death, at which she was so exceedingly terrified, that finding herself ill besides, she confessed the whole truth of the matter, and proved that the Major died with a lie in his mouth, so that I hope Mr. Bond's family will not be so spiteful as to prosecute the affair any farther my lady was sent home directly in the chariot as they could not bear the sight of her any longer in the house she takes on mightily but we all bless ourselves that she is alive i shall make bold to enclose this according to your order to sir george biddulph and as soon as i receive your commands about master shall make no delay in this unlucky place i am honoured sir your dutiful and obedient servant Frederick Hildy. July 26th. Adieu, my Cecilia, adieu. Nothing but my death should close such a scene as this. Editor's Note. Here, to the editor's great disappointment, Mrs. Arnold's interesting story broke off, that unhappy lady not having continued her journal any further but as this seemed to be one of the most affecting periods of her life his curiosity induced him to inquire of the gentleman from whom he received these papers whether he could give him any farther light into her story as he thought it not improbable that he might have learned from his mother some other particulars relating to her His friend told him that he knew his mother had drawn up a narrative of the subsequent remarkable events in the life of Mrs. Arnold at the request of a particular friend, that he had once heard it read, but as he was then a boy it made but little impression upon him, that afterwards, when he wanted to have his curiosity gratified, his mother told him she could not find the manuscript and feared it was lost. However, he said he would search her papers and if he recovered it, it should be at his service." After some time the gentleman informed the editor that he had made the strictest scrutiny into his mother's papers, and could find nothing relative to the subject of Mrs. Arnold except a few loose sheets, which seemed to have been the foul copy of the beginning of her narrative, and at the same time put them into his hands. These the editor offers to the public as he received them without any alteration or addition. CECILIA'S NARRATIVE, BEING A SUPPLEMENT TO MRS. ARNOLD'S JOURNAL I set out on my return to England immediately after the receipt of her last journal, the melancholy close of which had exceedingly terrified and afflicted me. Immediately on my arrival in London I flew to the dear friend of my heart. She was still at her house in Pall Mall. I found the dear Sydney alone in her bedchamber she had been prepared to receive me but though i had endeavoured to arm myself with resolution for this affecting interview i was not mistress of myself at the sight of her the tears i shed did not spring from that sweet emotion which long severed friends feel at seeing each other again i wept in sorrow for the heavy misfortunes of the best of women but mrs arnold still herself and superior to adversity received me with the tenderest marks of friendship, and with a composure that amazed me. Piety, meekness, and patience were ever Mrs. Arnold's characteristics, and they now all appeared blended and so strongly impressed on her beautiful face that I could not look at her without admiration as i was astonished to find her so calm under so trying an affliction i could not help expressing myself to that purpose but mrs arnold checked me with this reply i have been set up as a mark my cecilia let me fulfil the intention of my maker by showing a perfect resignation to his will i hope my task is almost finished and that he will soon permit me to return to the dust from which i came frederick hildy had arrived from ireland above a fortnight before with master falkland a beautiful child of about five years old they were both lodged at mrs arnold's house she told me that sir george biddulph and mr warner had set out together for holland immediately after the receipt of the letter which informed them of mrs falkland's being alive my brother said mrs arnold thought it necessary himself to be the bearer of news so fatal in its import to his friend he hoped besides he should be able to persuade him to return and stand his trial for having killed major smith as there is no doubt of his being acquitted All Mr. Bond's family being now convinced from Mrs. Falkland's own confession that there was nothing premeditated in his fatal event, and that what Mr. Falkland did was in defence of his own life. "'I have writ,' continued she, to Mr. Falkland, to endeavour to console him under our mutual misfortune.' At my request she showed me a copy of this letter, wherein she assured him she would take the tenderest care of his son till the child could be delivered safe into his hands, and conjured him, for that child's sake, to be careful of his own interest and preservation, adding that, as their ill-fated marriage was an absolute secret to every one but the persons immediately concerned, She hoped he would not suffer the thoughts of it to break in upon his future quiet, and concluded with beseeching him to forget her, as they were never more to meet. This was the substance of what she wrote. There were no murmurings at her fate, no womanish complainings mixed with the tender yet noble sentiments of her heart she endeavoured to conceal her own anguish under the mask of contentment that mr falkland might the better support this final destruction of all his hopes i asked her whether she had heard since from mr falkland she told me she had as yet received no answer from him to this letter but that she had heard severally from sir george and mr warner who both informed her that mr falkland after his first transports of surprise and grief were over at receiving this new and unexpected blow had grown more calm and seemed inclined to return with them to england sir george added in the last letter she had from him that they only waited till mr warner had accomplished the business that he had to do in holland and hoped before a fortnight was at an end to return home "'and to have the pleasure of conducting Mr. Falkland back.' "'It is ten days,' continued Mrs. Arnold, "'since I received this account, "'and I flatter myself that they may be now on their way homeward.' "'Mrs. Arnold said that she waited but for Sir George's return "'in order to deliver Master Falkland into his hands, "'and that she then meant to retire into the country "'with her two children and Patty,' the faithful companion and partner of her grief. Lady Sarah Biddulph, who would gladly have gone with Sir George to Holland, had been persuaded by him to stay behind in order to bear his sister company in her affliction, and Mrs. Arnold said she had dedicated much of her time to that friendly purpose. Her ladyship came to pay her a visit while I was there. I had never seen Lady Sarah before, and we were introduced to each other. I took my leave of Mrs. Arnold, and promised to see her again the next day. In the morning, as I was preparing to go to her, I received a note from Lady Sarah Biddulph, earnestly requesting the favour of seeing me at her house, in St. James Square, before I went to Mrs. Arnold. I obeyed this unexpected summons, and immediately waited on her. "'I took the liberty, madam,' said she, of desiring to see you here this morning, at Sir George's request. He arrived late last night and brings most melancholy news from Holland. Sir George entered the room while she spoke. After the first greetings of friends long parted were over, I am afraid to ask Sir George, said I, yet am impatient to learn something of Mr Falkland. Your lady has terribly alarmed me. Mr. Falkland is not returned. I dare not inquire the reason." Tears instantly sprang into Sir George's eyes. "'He returns no more,' said he. "'His remains are soon to be conveyed to England, to be laid with his ancestors.' "'Ah, sir!' cried I. "'What will poor Mrs. Arnold say to this fresh misfortune?' "'It was on that account, madam,' he replied, "'that we now requested to speak with you, "'before you saw my sister. "'You, who are her bosom friend, "'can more tenderly disclose this melancholy event than any one. "'I have not the courage to see her. "'We must beg of you, dear madam, "'to prepare the unhappy Sydney for the news.' "'I asked him the manner of Mr. Falkland's death.' i cannot positively say answered sir george but much i fear he precipitated his own fate mr warner or i constantly stayed with him from the time we disclosed the fatal account we brought concerning mrs falkland knowing as we did the violence of his temper we were apprehensive of sudden and dreadful consequences but he deceived us both for after the first starts of passion were over which though they shocked did not alarm us as we expected them he assumed a calm resignation to his fate and talked with such a rational composure of the strange circumstances of this incident that we began to entertain hopes that the efforts of his reason joined to our constant endeavours to soothe and console him would in time so far succeed as though we never expected to see him restored to a tranquil state of mind We yet flattered ourselves he would submit to life upon such terms as providence thought fit to impose on him i was with him proceeded sir george when he received a letter from my sister his hands shook so on perceiving by the superscription that it came from her that he let the letter drop read it for me biddulph said he and tell me how it fares with mrs arnold i instantly complied with his request i found by the date of the letter that it had been delayed much longer than it ought to have been which i immediately observed to him as he had often expressed his uneasiness at not hearing from my sister mrs arnold is well said i giving him the letter read what she says and let her teach you fortitude he withdrew to a window to peruse it after he had read it i admire your sister's stoicism said he stepping back to his chair this is true philosophy laying his finger on the letter which he still held in his hand her heroic soul is still unmoved and above the reach of adversity happy mrs arnold what a vain fool was i to think that such a mind as hers could be subdued he paused and seemed for a while buried in thought. Then, putting the letter up in his pocket, he began to discourse on some other topic. We passed the evening together, continued Sir George, and though Falkland was far from being cheerful, I thought he appeared more tranquil than he had done since my arrival. I talked to him of his returning to England with me. He said with a smile, "'I think I ought to go, if it were for no other reason but that I might have my dust mingled with that of my forefathers, and this office, Bidolf, I expected from you, if you should outlive me.' I laughed at him, and said I thought he had a much more material reason that pressed his return. "'Your estate,' said I, "'is unsettled, and if you were to die abroad in the predicament in which you now stand, what is to become of your son?' i have already done for my son said he all that i thought injustice was in my power to do i have long ago settled my personal fortune on him that in case my next heirs should on account of the illegitimacy of his birth claim the family estate he may have a handsome support without it and indeed i never wished to debar my lawful heirs in favour of this child though I love him tenderly, and they are worthless people whom I despise, and with whom I never had any intercourse." I replied, if that were so, as the manner of the child's birth was a secret, I wished he might, undisturbed, inherit his father's fortune, when he should come to pay the last debt to nature. He answered, where such a vast property was at stake, there would not be people wanting, whose interest would engage them to discover the secret, and he doubted not but the irregularity of his wife's conduct had already occasioned inquiries to be made. "'Supposing,' said I, "'you had had another son by Mrs. Falkland since your marriage, as you could have no objection to the bequeathing your fortune to him, would it not have appeared strange in the eyes of the world that you disinherit your eldest son?' It might have appeared so said he but i certainly should have done it and for that reason as i have no child but him i have made such a disposition of my fortune as i now tell you if i live i may increase my son's patrimony if not he must be contented with that which i have bequeathed to him and let my kindred scramble for the rest we stayed together till it was late he discoursed on a variety of subjects but mentioned not my sister's name during the whole time i thought i left him well and his mind tolerably composed we were to set out on our return in six days but an account was brought to me in the morning that mr falkland was found dead in his bed there were no symptoms discovered on the body that could let us into the occasion of his death but as my own fears suggested too much i chose not to be particular in my inquiries wishing rather that his fatal story should be buried in silence mr warner found that his affairs were likely to delay him longer than the time proposed and as i had nothing farther to detain me in holland i set out the day after my unfortunate friend's death leaving to mr warner the care of conveying his remains to england agreeably to the desire he had expressed which i now considered as his last injunction laid on me thus proceeded sir george by a series of fatal events each of which was occasioned by motives in themselves laudable has one of the bravest and most noble-minded men on earth been cut off in the prime of his youth oh falkland why did you suffer that gallant spirit to be vanquished sir george's emotions topped his father's speech i was too much affected to say anything to him but took a hasty leave of lady sarah in order to go to mrs arnold as soon as i entered my friend's room cecilia said she if your countenance be as faithful an interpreter of your mind as it used to be you have something disastrous to relate you may say anything misfortune and i have been so familiar i shall not shrink at its approach sir george is returned i replied you will see him today is he come alone she asked alone i replied you but repeat my words cecilia without adding anything from yourself shall i interpret the meaning of that mournful echo mr falkland no longer lives i was silent oh i knew him too well said she raising her voice with energy to think he would survive this last blow his death was natural said i for anything that appeared to the contrary.' "'God be praised for that!' cried Mrs. Arnold. "'If so, I am satisfied that he is at peace.' She then inquired after Mr. Warner and her brother, without making any farther mention of Mr. Falkland. Whilst we were in discourse, Master Falkland ran into the room. He had been at play with the two little Miss Arnold's who were in pursuit of him, and he flew to Mrs. Arnold to hide him. She folded him tenderly in her arms, then turning to me. "'Look at this boy,' said she. "'He is the perfect image of his father.' "'When am I to go to my papa?' cried the child as he hung round her neck this innocent unexpected demand quite vanquished mrs arnold's fortitude she set him down without being able to answer his question then said excuse me my cecilia i would wish to be alone for to-day it was not yet a season to administer consolation and i withdrew she stayed in london but two days after this when, as she had before resolved, she retired to an estate in Buckinghamshire, which her kinsman had purchased and settled on her for ever. With her brother's consent she took Master Falkland with her, and prevailed on Mr. Price to accompany her into the country, to whom she committed the care of the child's education. Mr. Warner, whom she had acquainted by letter with her intention, approved of the step she had taken he returned to england in about three weeks after her departure from her house in town which she had left for his reception just as he had fitted it up for her before i accompany mrs arnold into her solitude i shall just briefly mention some other persons who were connected with her story the relations of mr falkland as he had foreseen claimed his estate and at length obtained it the illegitimacy of the child being proved the wretched Mrs. Falkland, abandoned and despised, returned to England. But as she was there hated and shunned by every one, she remained in obscurity for a few years, and then died unpitied and unlamented. I now return to Mrs. Arnold, who settled in her quiet retreat in the country, it might be hoped would have passed the remainder of her days undisturbed by any new calamity the only source of true heroism of soul religion had all along supported and prevented her from sinking under the most trying afflictions many and bitter were the sufferings she had already endured but she was to use her own words set up as a mark and the deep afflictions which still pursued her, and clouded even her latter days with misfortunes, may serve to show that it is not here that true virtue is to look for its reward. I saw her at a time when this reflection, as it had been her chief, so was it her last and only consolation. Possessed as she was of an admirable understanding, and an enlarged mind, In the deepest solitude she had always resources of entertainment within herself. Her natural disposition, ever sweet and complying, was improved by her sufferings into a patience very rare in woman, and a resignation imbibed at first from a rigid education was heightened by religion into an almost saint-like meekness and humility. I shall pass over the first ten years of her retirement, in which nothing material happened but the marriage of the amiable Patty Maine to a gentleman of a large estate, and the death of her worthy kinsman Mr. Warner, who bequeathed her his whole fortune. Miss Arnold, her eldest daughter, was now something more than fifteen, and fulfilled the promise her childhood gave of her being a perfect beauty. Miss Cecilia was about a year younger, and though not as handsome as her sister, was accounted one of the finest young ladies of her time. With what delight have I seen this excellent mother, while these two charming young creatures were all attention, relate to them the extraordinary and affecting incidents of her life? This, said she, I do not as a murmurer at my fate, nor to move your pity at my misfortunes, but to teach you, by my example, that there is no situation in life exempt from trouble. It found me under the tender care of the best of parents. It pursued me into my husband's house. In my virgin state, when I was a wife, and in my widowhood, I was equally persecuted. Poverty, I once thought, would have exempted me from every ill. But what its own hand inflicted. And had it remained my companion, the bitterest misfortune of my life would have been prevented. For if wealth had not accompanied my hand, the world would not have persuaded me to yield it to mr Falkland. Do not, therefore, pride yourselves on the great fortunes you are likely to possess. I have received no other satisfaction in mine than what arose from the benefits I have conferred on others by such lessons as these did this tender parent endeavour to fortify their young minds against the vicissitudes of fortune and to teach them not to place their confidence in riches she dwelt so often upon this theme that she seemed to have a presentiment of those evils which were now ready to pour like a torrent upon her gracious heaven how inscrutable are thy ways her affluent fortune the very circumstance which seemed to promise her in the eve of life some compensation for the miseries she had endured in her early days now proved the source of new and dreadful calamities to her which by involving the unhappy daughters of an unhappy mother in scenes of the most exquisite distress cut off from her even the last resource of hope in life and rendered the close of her history still more-' Note.' Here the lady's narrative breaks off, and the editor not having it in his power, after the most diligent inquiry, to recover any more of the manuscript, is, to his great mortification, compelled to offer this fragment.' End of section forty five. End of Memoirs of Miss Sydney Biddulph by Frances Sheridan Book read by Rachel Linton in Bristol, UK, August 2010